and welcome to Rebel Hearts, a podcast dedicated to women in the music industry and the challenges that they face. Each episode features songs by your new favorite band and where you can find them. Come on, the show is starting. I'll see you guys at the front. Hey guys, and welcome back to Rebel Hearts. This is episode 43, and today I am joined again by my frequent and favorite co-host, Pat. He is to my left. <laughs> Hello. He uh, Hopefully he'll be with me for the end of time, just like he's been here since the beginning of time. And I know that I just recorded last week after being on a unintentional break from doing the podcast for a little bit, but I did want to do a couple of things today that may not be music related at all, or, you know, even in the slightest, I did say a lot in my last episode that I felt that I really wanted to talk about since I have been gone, but me and Pat were talking over lunch and we actually did want to have a conversation about certain TV shows that are popular right now and ones that we are both watching. And one of them we wanted to talk about was actually Hulu's Netflix, uh, not Hulu, Netflix. Those are two different things. Hulu's um, exclusive series, which is The Handmaid's Tale. Um, a lot of you have either been watching it, have heard of it, watched last season, or, you know, whatever you've been doing. So if you haven't watched season one and you want to, if you haven't watched season two and you want to, um, you might want to stop listening because there's going to be a lot of spoilers. Ooh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Ooh, spoiler Ooh. alert. Um, I haven't watched the last episode of season uh, two yet. I've only been a little more than halfway through the season of season two but i know what happens up until the last episode so and i watched the whole season so it's gonna be hard for me to keep my mouth shut but i'll try <laughs> he cried throughout the entire thing mm. it was a good time every yeah every um what is it every from march to april of every year from march to june i don't know i cry a lot because of this show but it's a very cathartic experience i'm not a big crier but I can't help it. <laughs> it was so good. And that's why we kind of wanted to talk about it today because um, Pat brought up a good point. I wasn't sure what direction we wanted to do for this episode, but he was kind of mentioning to me how a lot of TV shows, movies, and even music in some way are centered around women's trauma and how that's just become something so easy for people to talk about and make as a topic and a theme. And, you know, it's great to talk about things like this, but we also wanted to bring up how it might be a little detrimental since it's being done over and over again. So I did want to start with The Handmaid's Tale because it is a show that Pat and I both feel attached to. We both have watched and it's a very intense show. So the premise of The Handmaid's Tale, in case you haven't heard about it or you just didn't care up until this point, um, The Handmaid's Tale was based on a book that was written i don't even remember when it was written i think it was written early 90s late 80s like honestly it could have been written in the 60s it I'll, was, ch I'll check yeah <laughs> while pat's checking that out it's it's a book that was written uh, a fairly decent amount of time ago and it basically centers around this world called gilead that is basically female enslavement i don't know how else to put it to be honest yeah it's um let's see all right, so it was published in 1985, so I was spot on. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's about you know just it's about how we would how we would deal with the repercussions of global climate change as well as like an infertility plague, but it does it in a way where it's not it doesn't entirely serve everybody. Honestly, it only serves the men, and it goes back to this whole kind of basis of church and state in the way you know, there, there should be a separation. That's what the basis of America was on, but they kind of get rid of that altogether and they just make it 
the state following the church. Which is crazy. And the more you watch it, I know there's a lot of people that follow me on Twitter and friends of mine in in real everyday life, people that I work with. um, We were talking about how The Handmaid's Tale, even though it was written in 85, it's very current to 2018 and the political climate and everything that's been going on and the things that, you know, Trump has said and all of these things that have just occurred. It just doesn't make it feel like it won't happen. Well, that's that's I feel like that's why it's so popular, because it's so timely. It's honestly eerie how timely it is, because I mean, I'm sure I'm sure this show has been in the you know, it's been in the works for probably a couple of years. But the way it kind of reflects society, not directly reflects, but kind of exaggerates and like metaphor sizes. (laughs) metaphor you know makes it into a metaphor (laughs) um it's it's very it's interesting because it kind of does mirror what's happening in america right now and only the first season is based on the book so it's kind of easier that for them to you know mirror society in the second season and the third coming season because they can look what's going on and then put it into the show and work off that but you know the book really kind of almost prophesized a lot of this stuff like it you know knew the global climate change maybe not the infertility but you know the mistreatment of women and it's it's weird i watch it and i'm like i i feel like i shouldn't have to relate to it in a way but i do you know it's like it's not good that we relate to this show. Like, no. it's not a good sign. No. And yeah. um, the crazy thing about The Handmaid's Tale is that Gilead was basically made from the brain of a woman. Uh, Serena Joy, who's played by Yvonne Scherhosky, who was um, very popular in the Dexter series. She played um, Hannah, who was Dexter's girlfriend and ended up being the only character that, you know, was salvageable at the end of that series because fuck that last season. But anyway, uh, she was also in Chuck. I think that she played a woman named Sarah. I never watched the show. but um, So Yvonne has been in a lot of things that you may have seen. She's an incredible actress. She does a really good job as Serena Joy. Oh, yeah. She's she's great. Um, I loved her as Hannah and Dexter. She, um, she just plays this really eerie character because if you think about it, it's just so strange that in such a, you know, in such a time where people are trying to be more outspoken about feminism and, you know, female empowerment and all of that, where Serena has basically flipped that completely and did a 180 and is talking about female enslavement. Yeah. Which is insane. Well, the thing about Serena's character is like, she's one of the best written female villains, I think on TV in a very long time. Besides Aunt Lydia. Oh my God. And don't, that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) Um, But she's like, she's so complex and she's so layered that, you know, they set her up as this villain. And then, you know, in some ways they try to have like these redemptive um, situations for her. But she always, you know, she never takes advantage of them. And then they want, I feel like they always like try to like push you to root for her for a little bit. But then they like snatch it out of your hand and then it makes, you're just like, wow, this woman's a monster. But I don't know. She's so interesting because she's so complex and she's so hard to read, which I hate her, but I love her. You know, (laughs) that's the problem. Uh, Pat and I were Pat was asking me a lot of interesting questions before while we were at lunch. And he had asked me, do I think that Serena is actually evil? And do I think that Fred, her husband, is pure evil? 
And to be honest, um, my original answer didn't really seem very thought out because I, you know, he kind of threw me for a loop for a second because I had just before he asked me that question, I was like, Serena's evil, Fred's evil. And he's like, do you really think that? And I'm like, oh, shit. Do I really think that? And the 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 answer that I articulated after I really thought about it was that I feel that Serena is pure evil. I really do because yeah. we were talk we were also talking about this. Pat kind of went further into his question and had asked me, you know, do I feel that um, Serena created Gilead um, because she hates women or because she really thought it was going to solve the fertility problem? And I said I just think that she hates women, and I think that this all stems from trauma. Yeah, no, I think that she does have some internalized misogyny. And I feel like that's why Alfred is such like a complete polar opposite. And it's like, obviously the hero of the show. And I, that's why she's like, she's such a great match for Serena because she is the opposite of Serena's ideals. And I think that like the show kind of plays with the idea that like, you know, how can a woman hate women so much? Like it's impossible. But like Serena is that exception where... She does she does care about children. I think she in a way she does care about the infertility. And I think she cares about children, but I think she cares about children a lot because she can't have her own. And I think that's it's I don't think it's really about like society as a whole even though how much she wants to say it is. I think it's a very personal reason for her and I think everything she did to put Gilead forward was very personal. And yeah, I really, I don't think there's any redemption for Serena. I don't think so. No matter what, because even in, um, like I said, the, I'm not going to say spoiler alert every time we talk because um, we already said in the beginning of the episode, if you haven't watched season two yet, we're going to basically be talking about um, a lot of season two. So sorry in advance if you want to keep listening and spoil it for yourself. Spoiler you know, alert. I'm sorry. And also good for you for wee persevering. Woo, <laughs> Um, he's just standing there menacingly. <laughs> um, so anyway, and uh, one of the episodes, Serena has asked Fred to the the baby that uh, it's the Putnams, right? Yeah, uh, the Putnams are. So yeah, yeah. Janine, who is the lead uh, character in a sense where she she's the one that is missing an eye. She was the first handmaid in the series to have a baby. She gave it to her um the commander and his wife, which is what you're supposed yeah, to do. Mistress or whatever. Mist- I don't know what she's called. Well, I don't know what they are, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so she had given up the baby to the Putnams and they still let her live for whatever reason, minus her almost being stoned, sent to the colonies. Like Janine is resilient. <sighs> girl. Yeah. But Janine's that bitch. Janine like, is that bitch. Janine really, she's strong. She is strong. She doesn't yeah. have an eye. She's yeah. good. <laughs> but, um, so this one episode, the, the baby gets sick, uh, Janine has named the baby Charlotte and they have named her. The fuck is the baby's name? <sighs> I don't remember what the baby's well, name is. Is it's not Janine named her Charlotte. Is the, okay, Charlotte. Oh yeah, what's the, the baby? It's like, I have no is idea. It Jessica or something. It's, it's something it's something super yeah. like bland. Either way, <laughs> it's not important for us. It's to remember it. Anyway. Charlotte's more important to remember. So we'll we'll just name her Charlotte. So anyway, so Charlotte gets very, very sick, basically borderline deathly ill. And Charlotte's basically only like six or eight months old. Like she's very, very young. So um, the whole thing is there's one Martha who is 
who used to be a doctor and she's yeah. like one of the best surgeons for this job she she's like supposed to be like the best doctor in the entire universe they're making it seem but the problem is in gilead you can't have female doctors you can't have female anything you know they're you can't just have females with a job you can't have yeah, females that can't. even read or write yeah so they're basically just supposed to breed stock and that's basically it and that's all they're good for which is scary because i feel like that's very real in the coming years unfortunately oh but <laughs> i hope not too but um so charlotte gets very sick and one of the marthas is probably the only person that can quote unquote cure this baby but it's a woman so serena who i found this very strange because serena created gilead but she has to ask her husband for permission to sign off on it and then to which fred says no you know i'm sure that the the people that we employ are very you know, capable of treating Charlotte. Men, yeah. The men. Sure, I'm sure the men. Yeah, yeah who, the men. Yeah. So I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really strange that her of all people, like I get the other women asking the commanders slash the husbands, but Serena created Gilead. So I thought that was very strange. But anyway, Serena went against it. She forged for its signature and she got the Martha to help. Mm-hmm. And the Martha could not help, or at least they made it seem like the Martha couldn't help. And Serena basically blamed her and essentially, and the way that I took it is Serena was like, you're useless. Of course you're useless. Women aren't good for anything. Yeah. Or also like you, the way Serena, Serena knew what she was putting on the line for herself, not for anyone else. I mean, she doesn't care about anyone else, right? but for herself, she really risked a lot to forge Fred's signature on whatever papers that needed to be processed to have this doctor come in. And when the doctor couldn't find anything, like any way to help, that like Serena was like, oh shit, like I need to put the blame on somebody other than myself, which she's always trying to do. It's always somebody else. It's never Serena, you know? It's like she's one who forged a signature, but it's the doctor's fault, you know? And then Serena got the repercussions because then Fred savagely beat yeah. her with a belt. And that scene <sighs> kind of like, not that scene was traumatic for a lot of reasons mostly because you know he made offered watch serena get reprimanded and she's supposed to be this higher power she made gilead like she is its creator and she is getting savagely beaten with a belt and i just think that it kind of calls attention to she was definitely you know traumatized from something from a child and it was most likely from a woman because she hates women so much like it's so apparent Um, yeah well i mean the way that he does it it like definitely it's the way you know, a kid used to get disciplined when, you know, back in the olden days, you know, because we know, like, you know, it doesn't happen anymore. Like there's no physical discipline anymore. But when, you know, back when your parents tell you stories, it's like, you know, the belt on the butt over, yeah, over the knee, you know? So like he was basically like treat, like knocking her down, like to like a child. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then all made off Fred watch, which was like a, pa- it's a, obviously a power move by Fred to make her watch and be like, you know, like, I think he wants to be like, you know, off Fred, like this will happen to you if you go against me. Like you're, you're basically, you have the power over me that a child has over its parents, you know, but I mean, it's a marriage. So they technically they should be equal, but I think it says more about off character because off has every single reason to hate Serena but Alfred is like such a good person and still sees like the humanity in Gilead, like not as the society, but with the people within it, no matter like who they are, that she still offers like Serena support and sympathy, even though after all the shit that, you know, Serena's done to her, which makes me like Alfred even more because she's such a good person. <laughs> she <laughs> genuinely Alfred. is. Yeah. And, but the other thing that, that, 
shook me kind of to that scene is that when they do a lot they did a lot of flashbacks to Serena and Fred this season as they did in the um as opposed to the first season you didn't really see a lot of their relationship prior to Gilead or even prior to the present day that they're uh, they're talking about but they did in this season and they had shown that Serena was going to press conference to kind of speak out to the to all these people that were protesting about her book and she was nervous to do it and Fred was basically like you don't have to and she basically you know forced herself to do it and then she ends up getting shot in right by the ovary so it alludes to the fact that she can't have kids and that's why you know she has the handmaids and all of that. Meanwhile, Fred was sterile anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, they were never having kids regardless. <sighs> so that was a whole other thing for me. I was like, you know, that's really sad. But Fred was sterile no matter what. So they were never going to be able to have kids by themselves. And also, I was mentioning to Pat, I was, I was telling him, prior to her getting shot, Gilead was such a power move about hating women because she could have easily went to a uh, fertility clinic. She could have adopted. She could have had a kid so many other ways. You know, they don't make it seem like money was an object. It seems like, you know, they were either middle class or pretty well off. So Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like they didn't have the money to afford adoption or, you know, other resources. So to me, it was just about enslaving women. Well, no, yeah, I think that's definitely what the second season drives home. Like as you progress in it more and more, you realize that like, I mean, I'm not gonna, this won't be a spoiler or anything, but there's a whole situation with a girl named Eden. And yeah, that really drives home the fact that like, you know, these women can do everything right. They can do everything that Gilead wants them to, and they're still going to be in the wrong and they'll still be punished for it. Well, Eden is also the wife of Nick. She's 15 years old and they marry her off to Nick, who is considered an I, which is basically, you know, somebody who snitches. Essentially, it's basically somebody that watches out and snitches. secret police. Exactly. It's 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 a snitch. (laughs) (laughs) But we love Nick. I love Nick. We love Nick. Because Nick was having an affair with Alfred. He is the one that got her pregnant. Uh, under Serena's watch and also you know they yeah. probably and Nick truly yeah and he truly loves Alfred and he also truly understands that if she was to get out of Gilead that she does have a husband and a child and I think he gets that which I love Nick I, he, I do too yeah and you know what a lot of people that uh prior to me seeing this the season um I obviously got spoilers and everything because I wanted them I wanted to know what was happening and I want I wanted to stay current because everybody was talking about it and I had heard that Nick was so mean to Eden the wife then I was watching and I was like I don't think he was mean he was being respectful he yeah he definitely was was, yeah no he was being respectful and he was put in a situation where it's like you know commit pedophilia or like or, you know, get punished or get, or die. Yeah, or die. So, like, he really, you know, he had, like, a tight a tight rope to walk with that. Because on one hand, Eden was this is this brainwashed girl who could sound an alarm at any time. And even at one point, he, she goes to offer and she's like, he won't touch me. He doesn't love me. He's a gender traitor, which means gay. And you know, if you're gay in Gilead, you die. And... She, he, she was like, um, you know, that alluded to the fact that she was going to go to, like, whoever, the commander, and be like, you know, Nick's gay. Like, we, you need to kill him. And then Alfred had to be like, no, he is not. I assure you, he is, he is not gay. He's being respectful. But, yeah, whole different. It's This, this whole season's got a lot of moral dilemmas. There's like, so many. Yeah. And uh, 
so basically to wrap up Serena and then we'll talk about other things with Handmaid's Tale that were very emotional and controversial this season. Um, so uh, Serena, what I was talking about with Serena and Fred is that Fred seemed, I texted Pat about this while I was watching it, is that Serena and Fred seemed like they had a very genuine marriage when Gilead was just an idea and that Fred kind of seemed a little innocent in it and he loved Serena so much he supported her idea no matter how crazy it was because when you're blinded by love you have those rose-colored glasses on we've all been there even though I don't think anybody here has supported somebody so blindly into starting something about female enslavement but that's just me you know just saying (laughs) I've never been there but um so he was so blinded by loving her so much that he supported her idea and even sometimes Fred has a lot of moral dilemmas. Like he tries to help offer it out a lot and he sees a lot of conflict because he doesn't want to disrespect his wife, but also, you know, he does cheat on his wife with offer it. He does, you know, ent- uh, entice her with a lot of things. And I just feel like he has a lot of internal conflict because he loves his wife and he loves what this has become, but also he feels kind of powerless because he is sterile and he does feel like he doesn't have as much power as her. But when it came to um, beating her with the belt, that was the first time he's felt real power. Well, I think he also has a lot of pent up aggression towards Serena because it's, it's come out in burst. Like there's that scene where they're in the house that I don't know. You know, I haven't gotten up to this yet. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you'll get up to it and you'll know what I mean. There's a scene where he... Um, he does like have an outburst of aggression towards Serena when they think they're in private and somebody sees. So, and then throughout even the first season, like he, you can clearly tell that there's some aggression towards her, but if, you know, if you pay attention, Serena really, really pushed him into what he is. Like she'd never missed an opportunity to knock him down or call him a coward or weak. You know, when she got shot, he was, she didn't, he was by her bedside and he was telling her like how much he loves her, how much he wants to be there for her holding her hand. She did not want that. She told him, if you love me, like you'll go out and get that guy. You'll kill him. And that's what, that's what he did. He killed. Yeah. He killed that guy's wife in front of her, in front of him and then shot him. She really created, I think a monster. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I think Fred is not innocent in any way at all. He did. He was a catalyst for Gilead. But I think without Serena pushing him so hard, it it could have been different. Well, also in season one, remember when she was pissed off at him and she's like, the child isn't even yours. Yeah. Like she basically stuck it to him. You can't, you're so weak. You can't even have no, a child. Yeah, she never misses an opportunity to be a terrible person. It's so strange because she hates women, but I feel like she also hates men. I think she hates herself. I think so too. I th- she just hates everything. Yeah. She's just like, she's an ice queen, you know, like she really is a terrible person. Girl needs to let it go. <laughs> but, um, so that kind of wraps up Serena and Fred. I just wanted to really touch on that and how I feel that a lot of the things from Serena's perspective and a lot of things that are happening with Serena in terms of her and Alfred and just her as a character come from a lot of trauma that I don't think anybody is really paying attention to or talking to. Like she was obviously traumatized as a child or someone young from either a woman overpowering her, a man overpowering her, but something she definitely hates women. There's definitely a lot of internalized mis- misogyny and there's definitely a lot of internal hatred so that's all i wanted to talk about with serena at least now other things touched in the handmaid's tale that i wanted to talk about was a lot of lgbtq issues that are brought up in the show Mm -hmm. i know pat has a lot of feelings about all those 
um, moments yeah. and all those scenes. So if you want to talk about those for a minute, if you well, want to talk about Emily and all of that. Well, the thing that The Handmaid's Tale does well and differently is that it include it's very inclusive with like LGBT people and you know per- portrays them as a very as humans it portrays them as like the smart humans they are and that they you know this is happening to everybody and it's not like it's you know it could be worse for others it could be better for others but I mean in the Handmaid's Tale the LGBTQ community is targeted a lot and you know not only like if you're a woman and you're a lesbian if you're gay it's it's even worse you know a million times worse yeah and they touch on it a lot this season actually which they definitely touched on in the first season as well with you know moira was a lesbian and you know she it wasn't a thing you know it wasn't any any at any time it wasn't a thing and like they all loved each other and they were all like happy together they treat each other like family and then you get to the second season and you know it has like the scene with Alfred in a warehouse she's hiding out in which turns out to be the Boston Globe and she finds out it was the site for a massacre of like the press which when Gilead was coming up that's what they did they would execute like the press and you know teachers and educators anyone who could have a possibility of I guess speaking out against Gilead and one of the first things she one of the things she does towards the end of the episode is that she goes down to this wall where everyone was executed. And instead of, you know, I mean, she does sit there and cry on it for a little bit, which who wouldn't? Yeah. But she goes and she takes all these little belongings of the people who were executed there and the people who live there and work there and all these things. And like, you know, you see a pride flag hanging up and it's just like, it's not a like in the, in the world of Gilead, like, there is no separation, I guess, between, like, I guess, heterosexual and, like, LGBTQ people, because they're all kind of in the same boat, so I don't know, it, it was just very interesting, it was, it was nice to see. It was know? beautifully shot, yeah. too, like, that whole season, that whole uh, yeah. scene will just bring you to tears. Well, yeah, and it, it was, ve- it was very beautifully shot, very, very, like, respectfully done, and especially with, like, the climate we've been living in for the past couple of years with a lot of mass shootings, a lot of mass executions, and, like, Pulse, you know, like, that was, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. like, just seeing, like, it brought up a lot, you know, and it was... It was a powerful scene. It was very powerful. Another powerful scene, actually, that we were talking about is the the first episode of season two is there's this whole 10-minute scene. Legit, it's 10 minutes long of just all the women that refused to stone Janine at, oh, the, at the end of season <laughs> yeah. one. Um, they are all sent to basically be executed. And there's a lot of handmaids. Like... There's just rows and rows. It looks yeah. like every single handmaid that's in Gilead. That's yeah. how much it looks like. No, there, yeah, at least like definitely at least 30. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would like, say probably 50 or more. Yeah. So basically they, they're they putting the noose around all their necks and everything. And then there's this really sad, solemn song playing. And then it's just so beautifully shot. And it's just, I was telling Pat how Handmaid's Tale is a pretty slow moving show. It's not boring in any way. The cinematography is incredible, and so is the story. But they really drive home these these points. Like this this scene is no joke. Ten minutes long. It could yeah. be it could be it five, but it's pretty brutal because they really want to drive home these really brutal scenes. 
I I knew obviously that Offred was going to survive because I heard about the whole season so far, but I was confused. I really thought that they were going to execute all of these other handmaids and mm. just leave Offred because she's pregnant. So it's basically having immunity at this point. When you're pregnant, they can't do anything to you. They can't touch you. They can't do anything. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like one of those yeah. scenes where it just really kills you literally. Mm. And then obviously they don't end up um, hanging all of them. But mm. it's just, really but it's just, bru- yeah, it's, it's so brutal. It's like, would honestly, what, I don't know what was worse, the scene or actually them being hung. Right. Because like it was, it's that intense, you know, it's like, it's, it's, and it's like shows like such, I haven't seen a scene like that in a TV show that so, shows such like raw emotion in a while. Like you're being hung. Yeah. You're going to pee yourself. You're well, gonna, I was just going to You're going to cry. That. Like it's not like, and that, I think that's what made it super realistic. You read my mind. Yeah. The, there was a, there was a handmaid that was standing next to Offred who was so scared that she peed herself. And you just see Offred offer her hand to just like hold her and con- and console her. Yeah. You just see all of them crying. You see just all of these things happen. And it was just one of those things that really made, made <sighs> a point. Yeah. No, it was, it was intense. What a way to start off a season. Right, it's, it's the like, first like ten minutes of the yeah, episode. That was that was insane. I, I, you know, when I was thinking of like the second season coming up, that was the last thing I think that they would ever have done. And then like, her cutting her ear off. Oh well, that was like that was okay, all right, go off. But like, I got it, you know. Yeah. Because they treat them like cattle. It's like yeah. it drove home that point though, because yeah. that scene was also super long. Like it was unnecessary for her to be chopping at her the top of her ear for five minutes yeah but then i think that like i'm I'm personally yeah like i'm not i don't mind like gory stuff or it doesn't really bother me too much but with that part it's like yeah it it was long because it's going to show it's showing her like being almost like reborn as this new person you know like her getting rid of that tag was the last the last thing that gilead had over her right because she had already burned the clothes she She, cut her hair she burned the exactly and like cutting hair have like you know, forever has been such a symbol of letting go of the past. Yeah. Yeah. And rebirth. So that was the last thing that was, it was painful to get rid of, but it was painful what she went through. Right. It was symbolic. Yeah. So that was, that was, so those two scenes were very long, but also very necessary. And then another scene that we were talking about was, um, there was, so Emily, who's uh, played by Alexis Bledel, she, um, is a lesbian slash gender traitor and she was a professor at a college and there is a scene that shows her um, basically getting laid off from her job yeah. by her boss and he you you find out that he's gay yeah and that scene was just really hard to watch well yeah that's yeah we were talking about this before when that's when I was watching that scene I was like uh, I was you know I was disappointed and sad for her and i was thinking while he was talking to her she was standing up she says you know this is i'm not gonna hide my family like that's my family it's no different from any other family that's my wife that's my kid and i love them if i'm gonna i'm gonna show them off i'm gonna leave their picture on my desk and i was like you know what she is so so 110 percent right like why like the minute you accept like what these people are trying to do for you is the minute they win but then as like the conversation progresses, like you do slowly find out that he he's also gay and like he's not saying this to be like, you know, like as a straight man, I'm telling you what to do. So you keep your job and like, no, he's saying this because he understands exactly the position that she's being put in and he wants her safety. Like she she might be a little more grounded in her beliefs, but 
I think he thought it as like a smart thing to do. Did it work out for him? No. Because you find out, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was really brutal what happened to him. And it was like, it, it really did drive home a huge point of homophobia, what happened to him. And then there was another scene of when Emily's wife and her child are both Canadian citizens, but Emily is not. So they are at the airport and they won't let Emily go with her, her wife and son because she, they are technically not married in the eyes of Gilead. Their marriage license is fake. Which is... Which is pretty insane. real. Yeah, it's very real because that basically was the situation up until a couple of years ago. It could still be... It could yeah. very well be another... Uh, you know that could also it could it yeah. could happen again it could reemerge and it was just a really sad scene because it was another one of the the handmaid's tale does this really good job of drawing out these really intense scenes because it really drives home the point of you know this is this is a reality for some people it was a reality or it could be a reality in the future you know and it's just really sad the way that they were treating emily the way that they were talking about their marriage emily was basically saying you know i'll sue you i'll do this we'll get a lawyer and they're basically laughing at her yeah, saying yeah. bitch what are you gonna do yeah and they're basically mocking her and basically saying that her marriage is fake and that 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 woman is not her wife that is not her child they were yeah. asking her invasive questions you know that she wasn't that she snapped back at they were like who's the biological mother yeah who like yeah who did who the child sper- come from yeah whose sperm is this whose egg was it who carried the child all of these things and she went back at him and he's and she's like how would you like it if i asked you this and this and they basically told her that she's not a person so then you find out that her wife and her child ended up in canada which pat just told me i thought that she actually had had gotten hanged which you find out she did not yeah because uh in season in season one they find out that emily is a gender traitor quote unquote and emily was apparently having an affair with a martha and they hang the martha in front of her which yeah and then emily is very emotional in the truck when they're driving her to the hospital to um snip her yeah it's a mutilator it's yeah and they um yeah so the way that emily got so emotional you thought that that was her wife and up until a uh, half hour ago when Pat gave me that information, and I have to tell yeah. my mom because my mom no, thought you, that was her you, oh my, You'll find out eventually. Just keep watching. Okay. Well. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm yes. spoiling it. But so there was just a lot of issues that The Handmaid's Tale has covered and just a lot of brutal realities that have either happened to many people in these minorities. And, you know, there was a scene where you find out that Moira was dating um, this doctor and you find out that she had gotten <sighs> shot. God, yeah. Do they expand on that? No, but it's still heartbreaking. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Moira is like, it comes off as like this guarded character a little bit. And then like it goes into her backstory. And, you know, she did fall in love. And she did get engaged to this person. And, you know, it, it's not something they really elaborated on. But like when you dig d- deep into Moira's character... Oh, it's just really upsetting. <laughs> it was just yeah. all around a lot. <laughs> and yeah, and they also, they go into like, you know, Moira having her kid and like Moira never wanted kids. She was a surrogate. Um, and you see like how Moira co- becomes connected to her, her child when she actually has it. And that's upsetting because I think she reflects on it and she's like, you know, these, p- these kids are being ripped away from these mother's arms. And I think she has like this, like, not really guilty conscience, but she thinks about it over again. And she was like, should I have held on to mine? Which is, it's a heavy question. It's a very yeah. heavy question. 
And you just have to wonder if uh, many surrogates think that way. You know, yeah. June was trying to help her through it because June had already, you know, obviously had had a child that she had kept and she was just trying to get Moira through it. And it was just all around just really sad to watch. And then you find out while Moira's trying to find out if um, who was she was she trying to find out if June was alive or dead or was she looking for her fiance? I think she kind of had a hunch that June was still alive. And I think she was looking for her fiance. Okay. Yeah. Because then when she comes across the fiance that's dead in this book of all these deaths, she just crumbles. Yeah. And it's just hard to watch. Well, yeah. Cause, yeah. Moira comes, she's like a super strong character and she does not let people break her down. And that's like the, that's kind of the only moment that you see her break down in her vulnerable side. Yeah. Which I love her. Uh, we love her. We love her as Pusey. Rest R- in peace. Uh, R.I.P. And yeah. I just want to touch on one really last thing that we haven't talked about. That kind that was very like you know eerie to me. How timely it was. So there was. I'm, I I don't even have to explain the whole thing going on with illegal immigrants in this country right now, and that you know them being detained at the border, separated from their families. But the week that that news broke. They aired an episode of The Handmaid's Tale where, oh, you haven't seen this far yet. That's okay. Where it does deal with a character being reunited with their Oh, it's offspring. Hannah and Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> I already know that that happened. Yeah, but it was it was so strange because it really, really, really mimicked what was going on in the country. The country's a reality. What's happening in this country is a reality. And it's far more worse than what's happening in the television show that's, you know, made up. But it does help people understand more what's happening, in my opinion, because people can watch the news and, you know, news can could take it any way you want. It's to be interpreted. It shouldn't be. It should be facts. But, you know, the it's subjective. Yeah. The time we live in, it's very it's interpretive. But this show kind of showed the pain and like the anguish that these parents are going through where like you can see your kid for 10 minutes and then we're ripping them right out of your arms and we're leaving. And I don't know that was, I thought that was really powerful. And I thought that, that it was strange because they had these set dates where these episodes would premiere and that episode premiered the week that that news broke of, P- of families being separated illegally at the border. So that was very like if you know the whole telling yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's very telling to what's going on in the real world can also be mimicked via you know our our culture right now with movies and TV and media (laughs) yeah if you can relate to the Handmaid's Tale it's not good right it's not good at all and it's sad because there's a lot of LGBTQ people that can relate to what happened with Emily and her wife at the border oh yeah absolutely like mothers who's kid you know like yeah mothers who biological children are being told that those aren't your kids because you didn't carry them or like you got sperm from somewhere else like how are you going to tell someone that's not your kid oh god or that their marriage is voided yeah it's like this this is my wife Mm, no it's not yeah no like who who is to say that right it's not the government i mean yeah it's the government but also it's not the government right like yeah so yeah, I 
<laughs> Handmaid's Tale has a lot going on, and we definitely have a lot of other things that we want to talk about, but I definitely wanted to touch on the Handmaid's Tale for the bulk of the first half of this episode because it's a lot of things that have a lot of parallels to what's going on in the real world, and also a lot of people have been interested in watching it, and a lot of people have been watching it, so we just kind of wanted to talk about a lot of things. And like I said, we did want to touch on the fascination with female trauma and that being the driving theme behind a lot of things that we've been watching and um, a lot of things that have been going on. But before we move on to other um, things that we wanted to talk about, I did want to play the first song of the episode for you guys is by a band slash duo that Pat actually got me interested in uh, while we were coming home. Pat has all these Spotify playlists on his Spotify that have a lot of good music on it that I've been flipping through and trying to find more artists that I haven't listened to. He has very great taste and I've always Aww. I've always appreciated that about him. But oh, he, stop it. Stop it. So he actually has introduced me to this band slash duo. They're they're a duo, but I'll call them a band because you know, it's bad. Um, they're called uh, Let's Eat Grandma. I know it sounds very strange, but they're they're excellent. <laughs> they're called Let's Eat Grandma. They're from the United Kingdom. They've actually been active since 2013, but Pat said that they had just dropped their album this year. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, or they might have had. Oh, they album. had a they had a studio album in 2016 called I Gemini, okay. and they have a new studio record called I'm All Ears that was coming that came out this year. So. And apparently it had widespread acclaim. A lot of people loved it. I I really liked it. Pat got me interested into it. They're just... The thing that's cool about them that Pat was telling me is that they are... They're 18 years old and they are talking about these topics that are just really brutal and just a lot of people in pop music aren't talking about. Uh, They talk about abuse. They talk about just basically everything that we were talking about that The Handmaid's Tale is dealing with. So I think that it's really nice to hear that in pop music, there is some sort of substance. And you probably won't hear this on the radio, but it's just something that kind of gets you thinking that, you know, not everything that deals with heavy topic has to be sad. You know, just look at Paramore. They made hard times into this radio bop even though it never really played on the radio. But yeah, so Let's Eat Grandma, they're a really cool duo. Um, The song that I have for you guys is called Falling Into Me. It's off the 2018 record, I'm All Ears, and this is Falling Into Me.
Again, that was the song Falling Into Me by the duo Let's Eat Grandma from their 2018 record that just came out uh, this year, actually. It's called I'm All Ears. And it's super good. I recommend you guys to check it out. Um, I bought it on iTunes, but it's also on Spotify. Definitely, definitely check them out because they deal with a lot of lyrical content that I think that you guys should listen to. Yes. Yeah, read those lyrics. Don't just listen, read. Yes, reading reading is good. Reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow, where is that? Butterfly in the sky. Where is the Scholastic Book Fair? Mm, Probably underfunded. Yeah, I think it went away. Oh, RIP, <laughs> along with Avril Lavigne. Anyway, <laughs> so Pat had a couple of things that he wanted to talk about. He wanted to talk about a show called Sharp Objects that I have not watched yet, but he loves. So I'm going to let him talk for a couple of minutes on that. And I'm just going to be really interested in what he's saying. <laughs> All right. All right. So I, you know, Sharp Objects is one of those shows that comes along once in a while that I really, you know, really intrigues me. Like I get excited to watch it. I watch it, you know. I think it's nine o'clock <laughs> nine o'clock every Sunday I'm watching it and that hasn't happened to me for a while you know I have like the handmade sale I got my Game of Thrones but this show really surprised me because it's based on a Gillian Flynn novel and personally I've I've dabbled in her literature and I think she has incredible ideas but you know her writing style is just not for me so it's sometimes hard for me to follow but I'm a huge fan of Gone Girl I love Gone the film um and I guess I guess the story she say, wrote did you, it. <laughs> did you read it? Did you? Read I didn't Gone read Girl? Gone Girl. I read Dark Places. Right. And I guess you know. I guess I'll read Sharp Objects. But um, Sharp Objects uh, stars Amy Adams, and you know, it just it is disturbing. It is interesting. It's stylish. It's it's a slow burn. Um, it's kind of like hallucinatory, so you're not sure what's real, like what isn't, what's happening, who's that? Did you see that? I think I did. But it's um, it also centers around female trauma, which is like what I find really the most interesting about it. And I kind of have like this, you know, it's it's I'm kind of like juggling the idea and like thinking it over. Like why is like why right now is our media and why are we as audiences so interested in these female trauma stories you know like is it you know, it's something good that, that we're talking about right it has it always been there and we're talking about it now yeah and it's great that we're talking about it now are we looking at it as an entertainment value or a learning lesson who's to say i think you know if you're watching both i think what you should take away from it is a learning lesson as well as being entertained by it because you know at at its core it's a mystery it's a murder mystery but it centers around the murder of young girls and that's like the serial killer's mo like it's young girls and it's a power thing and that is disturbing and interesting and why are we so invested in seeing you know young girls deal dealing with trauma and being murdered like why does that interest us now like why is it not interested us in the past maybe it just wasn't out there as much maybe it's too heavy of a topic to discuss but we have shows like this we have sharp objects we have the handmaid's tale we have films uh we have a lot of coming of age films that deal with female trauma as well you know maybe not as heavy but like i know ladybird touches on it a bit about like you know like girls relationships with their mothers and how you know rocky they could be 
Edge of Seventeen deals with it. That sh- that mo- eighth, eighth grade, grade, yeah, which was just released, deals with that as well. And you have it. You're seeing it more and more. Like, yeah, thoroughbreds. It's like straight up murder. Um, <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And like, yeah, sociopath. Like, well, she she's a sociopath. One of the yeah. characters is a sociopath, and it just really explores the idea between somebody who's very mentally ill trying to help somebody who doesn't seem mentally ill, but it, in turn, it, yeah. <laughs> it really shows that she maybe she was the one with the issues. Exactly. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, yeah. Um, the ending. Spoiler of the alert. Yeah. Spoiler uh, alert. We don't. I don't even know if anybody that's listening has heard of uh, the movie Thoroughbreds. So spoiler alert. If you are interested, yeah. it's worth a watch. Though. It's definitely worth a watch. I didn't even know it existed. My boyfriend took me to see it, and I I fell in love with it. Yeah. Pat just saw it. He loved it. Um, it basically centers around these two young girls who are kind of friends, not really friends. One of them is, seems very privileged and, you know, tutoring the other one. The other one is a very sociopathic, you know, person. And they basically try to kill the lead girl's stepfather. The sociopathic girl, you know, has a past of killing a horse. Yeah. They go through that a lot. But the thing is, like, she might be a huge sociopath, but she's always had good intentions, which is like crazy because the other girl does not have good intentions. Right. Which is, it's so weird yeah. to watch when you watch throughout the movie, you see the girl that's seemingly, you know, not sociopathic trying to learn from the girl that is. And she's trying to mimic her traits. She's trying to find out more about her. And yeah. she seems less empathetic than the one that actually yeah. does have the issues. And because by the end, she doesn't need to learn anything. Right. She knew what to do. Exactly. <laughs> and the, and again, spoiler for the end of the movie, the girl who is the sociopath, she gets poisoned by the girl that isn't and the girl feels bad and she tells her and she just dies. She's like, you know what? No, no, she doesn't. She yeah, she roofies her. She roofies her. And she then she pins. Oh, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my Never God. Mind. <laughs> Never mind. Never <laughs> mind. Just go watch it just and you'll understand it. what we're saying. She roofies her and then blames her for the murder and then yeah. she goes to jail. But I think, but it's like another, it's like another case where we're looking at, you know, maybe not just like a singular female traumatic experience, but like in conjunction, like a relationship. And like, I think that recently, like in film and television, we're moving, I don't know, maybe not more realistic female relationships, but like we're moving into different female relationships. Like you see them, they like, are they, are they friends? You don't really know. Right. But are they, do they hang out together? Yeah. Do they, do you, do they plan things together? Yeah. And I think it just kind of shows like how complex um, a female character can be, especially when it revolves around like a traumatic issue and how they react to it. And it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a Hollywood trend, but it's, oh, there's a lot of it lately. Right. Well, look at 13 reasons why we were talking yeah. about 13 reasons why, and how a lot of people were outraged because of the way that they dealt with something as sensitive as suicide. And as somebody who, you know, I, I'm going to openly admit that, yeah, I watched both seasons and I was just, um, really fucked up. Um, watch, I definitely was in a really, really bad state of mind while watching season two. Like I hold up in my room for two days straight and I think my family was incredibly worried about me. I don't know if they knew that I was watching it, but I seriously like, that is not what it was just really bad. Like nothing traumatic happened to me before it premiered or anything. But when I was watching it, I was just really, really mentally fucked. And it took me like a week after I had finished to mentally unfuck myself and it was just really, really 
horrific. The way that that show is made is just really, really bad. That's the only way that oh, I yeah. can describe it. It's yeah. just made so poorly. And the way that they try Isn't, to... It's kind of like distasteful, right? It's little. It's literally trauma porn. Oy. That's really what it is. It's trauma yeah. porn. It's people who... I tried to s- stay away from it, actually. Yeah, I don't. Re- I don't really... I'm not telling you guys to go watch it. I'm, you know, I'm not in support of 13 Reasons Why. I don't think that it's a helpful show. I don't think it brings awareness. I don't think it does anything. I think yeah. that that last scene, w- one of those scenes in the the second to last episode that everybody was talking about with Tyler, I think that that was um, trauma porn. I think that they made that scene. Yeah, I think it's a very they they attempt to tackle very sensitive subjects, but in their doing, they kind of. They keep saying that yeah. it's, it's they're trying to do it because the way that these things happen happen in the real world. What happened to Tyler does happen to people in the real yeah. world. And I understand that and I get where they're coming from, but they tried to shove 10 pounds of shit in a two pound bag. Like they want to deal with suicide and they want to deal with bullying. Go ahead. But they just tried to do so many things with, with rape and um, dealing with drugs and the Me Too movement and you know, LGBTQ issues and all of these things. They tried to do so much, especially in season two, that it just went horribly wrong. And then it wasn't dealing with suicide or bullying anymore. It was just basically being traumatic for no reason. Yeah, but it, yeah, it just, it does. But yeah, it's, it still like fits, it, you know, fits into that trend. And you have to ask like, why are audiences watching this? It's like when you listen to sad songs when you're already sad. It's kind of like, yeah. I think we as humans are so, we're so interested in being... We, we just we, we love to hurt i think we really do you know we watch these things that are triggering for us if we can handle it you know 13 reasons why it was incredibly triggering for me for a lot of reasons and i still watched it because you know i i did that to myself you know i have myself to blame for not following certain trigger warnings even though i think the craziest part is spoiler i know you're never gonna watch it so uh, you no. don't care but the last episode of season two when tyler shoots up the school or he goes to attempt to shoot up the school there was no trigger warning for guns and i thought that, that was fucked up because prior to oh, actually the day that 13 reasons why i was supposed to premiere um was the shooting at um parkland it was the parkland shooting Either the Parkland shooting or oh, there was God. there was another shooting. I want to say it was Parkland, though. There was a shooting that happened and they had to pull the premiere because they felt that it was in poor taste. But they never did a trigger warning for guns. And yeah. you know what? Par- prior to Parkland, like, yeah, I understand you can't put a trigger warning for something that's already out. But there were many shootings before that. And that's really sad to say that there were many shootings before that. But there were many shootings before that that they could have put a trigger warning. And they used guns a lot in that season. And I thought that that was in very poor taste considering the climate that we were in with gun control and everybody's debate on it. So I thought the 13 Reasons Why definitely dropped the ball for a lot of reasons in season two. Yeah, I've heard very controversial first yield things <laughs> well and they're making a season three you know none yeah, of us asked but i don't know i yeah. probably won't watch it <laughs> you won't watch it you're, yeah. you're staying on un- unscathed gonna, yeah i'm just gonna mind my own business <laughs> <laughs> kind of like what we're doing with uh unsainable satiable oh uh, yeah well no i mean yeah i don't know why i mean i know why the, the listen there's no way to tell there's no way to portray certain issues in a way that's right or wrong because some of those issues are so deeply disturbing and so realistic and unfortunately common that when you you know you do try to 
portray them through a form of media that it kind of gets lost in translation. Like, I feel pretty. Oh, I am pretty. What is that? That movie about it with Amy Schumer when she decides that she oh. loves herself oh my she God. got hit. Well, mm, we don't have to talk about her. No, I've already, I've already talked about she that is. movie and how it's terrible. <laughs> but Insatiable, Insanable... Insatiable. Insatiable. Yeah. Insatiable follows the same preface as um, I am. I'm pretty. I feel. Yeah. Pretty. I don't remember the name of the fucking movie. Yeah, it's. I mean, everyone tries. I feel like everyone is trying to tackle these very heavy issues that do need to be talked about, but in some ways they don't do it. I don't want to say they don't do it correctly because less is more though. Yeah, it's. You, you don't know, need a whole season on it. Yeah. And it's, I don't, it's just, I don't know. It's just interesting to see, like, as like an, an outsider looking in, like seeing all of these, a lot of these shows that have the potential to inform or on the other side harm that there's such an abundance of them, which I'm never, you know, I don't want to, I'm with nobody. I don't think anyone should censor themselves within the media industry. I think that, you know, art is a f- way for people to connect to themselves and others. It's just, I don't know. It's an interesting thing to see. And I kind of like to examine, like, you know, why now in 2018 or like within the last few years? Because if you look, you know, if you look back on the forms of media of like television, music and film, there have been underlying um, themes of, you know, maybe abuse or sexuality and things like that trauma ptsd it's just that now they're being brought to the front and i'm you know makes you think like what was the catalyst for that what can i learn from it and what can i unlearn from it well it's like what i was saying in my last episode i was talking about how there's been a shift in movie trailers lately how we're seeing a lot of black lives matter centered movies which is incredible Mm -hmm. but why in 2018 are black lives important why weren't black lives always important same thing with boy erased you know boy erased is coming out in november of this year but you know well i think yeah i think when you see start seeing material like that it's um it's kind of like in a re- not a reaction. It's a product of the times where that that's we need it now more than ever. Right. It should have been addressed forever. But now that we're seeing things take a decline instead of going up, it's yeah, we need it. And I think that these like they're very they're super important to see because, again, media is a way that media is our prime connection to ourselves, to our emotions, as well as to others it's a very like it's very inclusive it's very interactive the more you interact with something the more you learn from it so yeah i'm (laughs) I'm, like i said my last episode you know better late than never but also i wish that it was happening more frequent you know we have so many things now that are coming out or that have come out in 2018 and even late 2017 you know i talked about call me by your name love simon ladybird um uh, another movie that while you were what you were mentioning, um, I don't remember what you were mentioning, but it made me think of oh when we were talking about thoroughbreds, the movie Unsane. Did you watch it? Oh no, but I really want to. That's the movie that a lot of people were talking about because it was shot all all on an iPhone eight. Uh, can I spill some tea? You can. There is another movie called Tangerine. I think I've touched on it before in this podcast, and it's about it follows the lives of two african-american trans women 
and it's not necessarily a, a drama. It's not necessarily a comedy. Call it a dramedy. Um, but it's one of my favorite. It was one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite LGBTQ movies of all time. But that entire movie was filmed on an iPhone, and no one says shit because I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you guys determine why no one said shit about it. But it's been done before. It has, and now all of a sudden, because <laughs> this movie's it's uh, it's by a big director, and it. Let's just say it has, you know, it a, has a predominantly, a white, predominantly cast. white cast. People are caring about it. Wow, it's filmed on an iPhone. Like, this movie is incredible. Yeah, it's probably a great movie, but it's been done before. So don't act like they're that innovative. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. This movie came out, I think, 2016 or 2015. It's on Netflix where everyone wants to watch it. Go and I'm educate g- yourself. I got to watch it tonight. Yeah. I really do. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, Unsane was a really good movie, but yeah, I do want to see it still. <laughs> you, you do have to see it only because, uh, again, based on our our theme today for you know basically our fascination with trauma is that the movie centers around a char- a female character who um, is put in an insane asylum essentially because she um, she thought she was being stalked and she thought that she was going to get killed. Well, don't guy. give me a spoiler though because I would need to watch it okay <laughs> but this is, yeah. this is the um, this okay. is the summary of the movie so she goes into a, an insane asylum and she she's trying to escape the person that was stalking her and then it basically is the story of all of that happening and you as the audience determine if she is actually seeing things or if this person has actually been stalking her okay so it was a great movie but it also plays into that trauma of you know we're so obsessed with these kinds of themes yeah and i i thought it was a great movie you definitely have to watch it but i'm gonna watch tangerine okay yeah tangerine i love tangerine it it actually like really touched my heart i think i i probably did cry um <laughs> i only cry when i watch things on tv is tangerine or moonlight if you have to oh choose? god moonlight <sighs> i couldn't for, well first of all like i don't know moonlight really did it to me <laughs> <laughs> That's but the reason tan- why it won. But Tangerine is just like it's a whole it's a whole different film in its own because it, Tangerine it's it's not sad it doesn't like wallow it doesn't like there's like, no trauma. There, I mean there is it because you know it's like these two lives that are not necessarily you don't really see them in mainstream media and it's what they go through on a daily basis just to survive and it's rough you know and like it is sad but like the way they approach it like the two characters where they approach it is fantastic because it's like it's just it's like a feel-good movie honestly which is what i like to see like i like i do get kind of bored with like lgbtq movies that are kind of just like oh it's this person's coming out story like it's so sad for them yes people's coming out can be very sad but like, let's try. Look, we like, you know, we we have a lot of films about that. We have a lot of TV shows about that. Like, why not try to move away? And instead of being like, this person is defined by them coming out, or like their like volatile relationship with family, friends, or their own partner, why not actually just treat them like a, a normal, regular character in any other movie? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> well, that's well, that's what we loved about Call Me by Your Name because it wasn't a coming out. It was basically, you know. Okay, you know, keep going. I have something else. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, basically, all I wanted to say is the characters were already gay. They were already form in, uh, formed. So there was no coming out. It was just a feel-good romance. Exactly. But what were you going to say? I, I just wanted to say I also watched a movie recently called God's Own Country where it kind of follows not the formula of Call Me By Your Name. To, again, two separate movies. Let's stop relating. 
LGBTQI movies to call me as by your like name. yeah like to call me by your name or just in one. I mean, yes, I love LGBTQ cinema. I think it's very important, and I think that it should be recognized. But like, let's not compare movies to movies within the same like group because they're not the same genres. Like, why why compare them? Right, anyway, but there's this film called God's Own Country, and it deals with this guy who is gay and that's not addressed what is addressed is his relationship with his father for different reasons and the feeling of him being trapped where he is because he lives in the country he lives on a farm and like the feeling of him being trapped being isolated being alone having to you know carry his family's burden as his father gets more sick and how he has to keep up with the farm then they hire they hire like a farmhand who's an immigrant from romania and you know he falls in love they fall in love and but it's like a very um rough way to fall in love and like you kind of like throughout the film you see like this very rough around the edges guy who like you know won't won't even kiss somebody on the mouth like he goes from that to like being in love and like like his edges being softened by this immigrant who like who never he would never um see himself falling in love with and with you know he he slips up and that person leaves and he like he reflects on his life and his, he's like you know my life i need him here and that's the life i want to live and it was really beautiful <laughs> it was so beautiful and i re- i really recommend that movie to anybody who um kind of wants to see something that came out the same time as call me by your name is just as good as call me by your name well yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna let you guys decide that. <laughs> like, you guys can decide what you like, but it's another film that I feel like a little should have got a little more publicity, but it didn't because it did come out the same time as Call Me by Your Name, and it is a foreign film, but it was still so good. I love that. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, that's uh. That was a lot for for you guys to take in. Um, we didn't talk anything about music. Um, we love Troy Sivan. Mm. That's your music yeah. for the day. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I was, I tweeted yesterday that I'm very, very, very late to the party, but Troy Sivan's album blue neighborhood is the greatest of all time. Um, that's my favorite record of all time now. <sighs> Nothing else compares. Love Troy Sivan. His song with Ariana Grande. We've mentioned Ugh. it twice now. Um, that is the song of my life. Yeah. Fucking love that song. It bops. It bops. Yeah. You can do whatever you want to that song. Mm, Ariana Grande. You can think of. <laughs> Ariana Grande's music. You could literally do anything and I it know. just fits. You want to bop around with a ponytail. You want to ride some dick. Mm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's a, it's, she, she got music for every type of mood. <laughs> she does. You, got, you guys think that Drake's got music for everything? Mm. Ari's got you. <laughs> she does. She does. No, she really does. If, any 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 type of mood I'm in for, I can find an Ariana Grande song for it. Usually most, on dangerous. Mo- yeah, m- mostly for just having sex. <laughs> like that's. Mm. So, that's what we're gonna end with. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a different kind of episode. Uh, I really do love talking about women in music, and I really do. That is the heart of this podcast. But you know, there's a lot of other things in the media that I feel are very important to talk about. I do feel that women are always going to be marginalized no matter what. But I definitely think that calling attention to things that are either doing it right or doing it kind of eh, 
should be um, talked about. And I really love having Pat on to talk about these types of things because, you know, I... I want you guys to be aware of what's going on and I want to be aware, you know, Pat says a lot of things that I'm, I don't even know. And I love learning from him and I also love being able to bring him on and have you guys learn from him as well. So I'm really happy that even though we didn't talk about music today, um, we did get a lot accomplished and I'm really glad that we, um, we got to sit down and talk about I'm glad we did this. Yeah, this is so good. We really, we really did the thing today. We're really out here doing it. So, um, before we start rambling or making SpongeBob references or something that we do on a consistent basis, I'm going to give you guys the last song of the day. It is by another artist that Pat has given me for today. Look at Pat. He's just, Mm. he's crushing it today. (laughs) It's by the artist. Her name is Claire O and he introduced me to this song that has a very interesting song name. (laughs) It's called flaming hot Cheetos. And it seems like it's from her, um, 2018 EP called Diary 001. I I thought it was just a single, but apparently on iTunes, it actually is an album. Mm -hmm. She has a couple of singles. She's also on Spotify. She's on iTunes. So you guys can definitely check her out. She's really awesome. Her music is kind of like definitely pop. Um, It says that she's associated with Matt and Kim. So I know a lot of people love Matt and Kim. She is only 19 years old. So she's definitely crushing it yeah we got some we got some young some young people on this episode yeah and they're definitely crushing it as as well as somebody in their 20s she's also um in a genre called bedroom pop which i had mentioned in my last Mm. episode that soccer mommy is also considered bedroom pop or she was when she first started out and now she's a bedroom pop is so cool yeah the the genre say bedroom pop lo-fi indie pop electro pop and that's basically what I really like to hear nowadays, especially with the women in music, they're really taking on this new genre of pop and bedroom pop. And it just sounds very real, kind of very 90s. And I don't know. I, yeah. I really enjoy it personally. It's a little more intimate for me. I agree. Right. Yeah. It just makes it feel like they, they're writing it for my situation. Like if yeah. I'm if I'm laying down, just reading a book or watching TV or doing something or editing. Yeah. You know, they wrote that song for me to play in the background. No, absolutely. Yeah, I always play them when like, I draw or paint because it just relaxes me. <laughs> I, I love feeling relaxed because that's never a state yeah, that I've never in. It doesn't happen very often. No, it happens like once a year. But they help. They, def- they definitely help. So before I play for you guys Flaming Hot Cheetos, you guys can find me on Twitter, which is Rebel Hearts Girl. I've been talking a lot about the things that I've been watching and listening to. So definitely pay attention to that. Uh, sorry in advance if I ramble a lot because that's what I tend to do. Uh, you guys can email me at rebelheartspodcast at gmail.com. You can send me your playlist. You can send me artist recommendations as always. Anything podcast related, if you have any questions or, you know, whatever you want to do, just email me there. I have a website, which is rebelheartspodcast.com. It has my web store. It has where you can find really anything. It has my shitty blog that nobody really cares about, but I write a lot of music feelings on. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Rebel Hearts Podcast. I really only post episode links there, but um, sometimes I'll post the occasional article, but really Twitter is predominantly where I'm at. And then also um, Instagram is Sam is Socks. I've been posting a lot of my Lush hauls there because I now have a skincare routine at 25 years old because that seemed like a good time to start caring about my skin. So that was it. I want to thank my favorite co-host and my only (laughs) co-host for coming back and Uh, dropping knowledge. 
You're welcome. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah. Pat's <laughs> always welcome back. Thanks for listening to me. Oh, always. <laughs> I always have a spot in my heart to listen to oh, you. Dude, that makes that makes one of you. <laughs> uh, I am going to link Pat's Spotify playlist down in the um, show notes because he has a lot of good insight on a lot of up and coming um, pop artists that you probably won't hear on the radio just because they don't fit a radio standard. But I really want you guys to check it out. He's got a lot of good recommendations. He's got a lot of artists that I've actually never listened to or have heard of. So I'll link that in the um, in the show notes. So make sure you check out Pat on Spotify because who knows, maybe he will be the next person to discover somebody big. <laughs> so that is all I have for you guys today. I will see you at the front. Here is Claro. Claro.